Hey guys, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Picking up in verse 13. We, um... If you've been here any length of time, you know that we work our way through books of the Bible verse by verse. And this is a good thing to do because we want to know the context. We want to understand. We don't just pick a verse and then teach on it. We want to understand how does it fit into the context of the book. Also, it helps us because there are many things that we would not talk about if we uh, had a choice, frankly. There are hard topics that we would shy away from and we would tend to just camp out on the things that we like. And that's not good either because God has given us this entire uh, collection of, of writings for our good. And some of it is, is difficult, but it's necessary. And so having said that, you know, the last couple of weeks, the, the messages have been challenging, have they not? You know, uh, we spoke quite a bit about hell a few weeks back, um, and that was challenging. And then the next week... Um, Pastor Bill talked about divorce, and obviously that's a, that's a challenging thing, not something uh, most anybody wants to talk about. And so I'm grateful that this week we're going to get a little bit of a, a break from that. So we're going from hell to divorce to Jesus loves the little children. And um, I just said, you know what, Lord, you're good, because we need this. Because next week is the rich young ruler, so it's back to sell everything you have and follow Jesus. So it's just a short break, um, but it, it's good. And so uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, I know that we've had some new visitors here. One in particular, that her first day was, was hell, and then the next week was divorce. And I'm just like, God, it's going to be a miracle if she comes back, you know. So anyways, um, let me pray for us and uh, ask God's blessing on the Word, and we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, we love You, we thank You, we know that uh, You're good and that You intend to speak to us through Your Word, and we ask that You would do just that, God. So bless this time, bless Your Word, may it accomplish that for which You have sent it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, verse 13 in chapter 10. Then they brought little children to Him that He might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them, but when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms and he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. So four short verses. And uh, I titled it, Jesus Loves the Little Children. And... As we um, consider the larger scope of the book, and then we try to understand what is the significance of this, it's, it's pretty plain to see that Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus as the servant of all, there is no one that is beyond His, his care. Jesus makes time for anyone and everyone, whether they are poor whether they are sick, whether they are considered sinners, society's outcasts, whether they are demon-possessed, whatever it may be, there is no one beyond the reach of the Son of God, the servant of all, and He takes time even for the seemingly insignificant, uh, particularly in that culture. And that's a beautiful thing to consider. I mean, Jesus was 
God in the flesh and He would calm the storms and He would cast out demons and He would raise the dead and He would preach to thousands. Yet He would stop and He would minister to these little children. He would love them. He would embrace them. He would uh, pray over them. He would bless them in the, the name of the Father. And uh, that is just a testimony to the goodness and the kindness of our Savior. Amen? And I would say that's kind of the main idea here. And we get a, a good look at uh, just how Jesus feels about children and how we should. So, verse 13, Then they brought little children to Him that He might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Uh, this was a, a common practice in this day and age. Parents would bring their children to uh, rabbis and to synagogues to have, have them pray a blessing or speak a blessing over their children to pronounce blessings. So that, that was not uncommon at all. Um, conversely, you know, it wasn't uncommon for people to get annoyed by um, the kind of people that Jesus associated with or to get annoyed by people that were crying out for Jesus' attention. It seems like that's something that we, we run into uh, quite often. I think when Jesus ate with the sinners in, in Luke chapter 15, before He launches off into all the stories about the, the shepherd that left the 99 sheep to find the one. You remember the, the Pharisees were disgusted by the fact that Jesus was eating with sinners. All right? And then Simon the Pharisee. You may remember there was a woman who came in and she, she was uh, weeping and washing Jesus' feet with her tears. And there was a, a Pharisee present and he said, you know, he was saying in his heart, in his own mind, if this guy really was a prophet, he would know what kind of uh, woman this is who's washing his feet. He wouldn't allow this to happen. He despised her. Uh, but Jesus did not turn her away. He received her, her worship and he praised her for it. The crowds were annoyed by the uh, blind beggar Bartimaeus. You'll remember, actually this is going to be coming up in the next chapter or so, uh, as Jesus was moving along and the crowds were there and there was a blind beggar who understood that Jesus was nearby and he started to cry out for healing and they actually warned him to be quiet and settle down. So people would get annoyed at people's coming to Jesus. But why, why were the disciples annoyed? Why would they be annoyed by this um, as I as I thought through this you know in many cultures around the world even today children are of little value uh, and that's a it's a tragic thing uh, but back in this day and age in this culture that was especially true and for the Romans they had um, they had a practice called exposing the child I don't know if you've heard of this I, I referred to this a couple weeks ago I used the word to dispose of because in essence that's what they would do they would if they decided for whatever reason they didn't want the child if it was a girl and the the dad didn't want a girl or if the baby was was deformed or, or whatever the case may be they would expose that was the the term they used. they would expose the child most often they would just leave the baby on a roadside um, to die, to, uh, most often they would starve or freeze to death. Sometimes they would actually be eaten alive by animals. It was a really horrific thing. And I know that's really graphic and I apologize, but that, that's the way that it was. And that was the kind of value that Romans so often placed on children. Now, the Jews weren't that way. The Jews uh, loved children. They considered children to be a blessing from God. 
Um, there are so many scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about that. And in fact, if someone couldn't have children uh, in the Old Testament times, they saw that as uh, that they were cursed of, of God. And so they put tremendous value on children. But in that culture, they have such a reverence for the elders. They esteem the elders as, as so great that really children, um, their presence shouldn't even, even be known, you know, frankly. You understand, like in our culture, we really disrespect the, the elderly so often and spoil the, the youth, but it, it wasn't that way. So the elders were revered and the children were, you know, really don't, don't speak unless you're spoken to. And so even in that context... They could be treated as, as less than. And so, as these children come to Jesus, the disciples are thinking, okay, we're doing big things, alright? Jesus is raising the dead, and He's preaching to thousands, and, you know, get, get these kids out of here, okay? And I, I suspect that, that was kind of the attitude there. But Jesus corrects the disciples, verse 14. When Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Now it says that Jesus was greatly displeased at what he saw. Uh, the New American Standard translates that word displeased as indignant. I think that gets it a, a little better. It carries more weight than just dis displeased. Jesus was outraged. He was furious at how the disciples were behaving and how they were trying to hinder the parents from bringing the children to Him. And He said, Let them come, do not forbid them. Of such is the kingdom of God. Children were very important to Jesus. We see that over and over again throughout the New Testament. And um, because of Jesus' treatment of the children, this was revolutionary, as I said, and because of His treatment of children and the follow-through of the church over the next couple of centuries, the whole practice of, uh, of leaving the children for dead like that was abolished. Uh, it, it was done away with. That was one of the initial ministries that the church took on. I don't know how many of you know that, but when the church began, one ministry they had was to bury the dead, Death was rampant. People, uh, their bodies were desecrated and left, uh, left to be eaten by the birds and, and who knows what else. And so the, the Christians took it upon themselves to gather these bodies and to give them a proper burial. And in addition to that, they would rescue these babies by the roadside. That was one of the ministries of the church was to rescue the children and to raise them as their own and to teach them the ways of the Lord. So you'll notice in your notes, I have a couple of, uh, of quotes here, and uh, this is not Scripture, but it's early church writings. kind of gives us a little idea of what was going on. So I'd like to read these, if you would read uh, with me. First, the Epistle of Barnabas here. This is uh, late first century. It says, Thou shalt not slay the child by procuring abortion, nor again shalt thou destroy it after it is born. Thou shalt not withdraw thy hand from thy son or from thy daughter, but from their infancy thou shalt teach them the fear of the Lord. So the, the early church teaching was love children, care for children, don't desert, abandon, do away with, and raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Uh, this rescuing deserted babies here, it says that Christians began collecting infants abandoned by their parents and raised them as their own. 
If pagans took in such abandoned children, it was most often for immoral purposes. The second century Christian, uh, Justin Martyr, uh, he wrote, uh, he spoke out against these practices of abandoning children. This is what he said. As for us, we have been taught that to expose newly born children is the action of wicked men. We refuse to do this. First, because we see that almost all so exposed boys as well as girls are brought up for prostitution. And so they would be left for dead, and sometimes, oftentimes, they would die horrifically, horrific deaths, but if not, at times they might be taken and, and sold into slavery. And so it was an awful, awful thing. And who stepped in to do something about it? Who? The Christians did. It was the, it was the church of Jesus Christ that turned this whole thing around, and within the next century or two, it was completely done away with, again, under Christian influence. That's, that's really cool to me. That's amazing. And it, and it all hinges back on these teachings of our Lord, that of such are the kingdom of heaven. Children are beautiful in the sight of God. He loves children, and so should His church. So should we. And we're to care for them, we're to love them, protect them, uh, train them up in the ways of the Lord. And uh, that changed the culture radically. That's pretty amazing to me. It's good to have an understanding of the roots of, of what we believe and, and where we have come from and how it has affected the culture for good over the centuries. Well, Jesus says, such is the kingdom. Do not forbid them from coming to me. Let them come to me, for such is the kingdom. So what does that mean? Um, I, you know, I've heard this a lot over the years that, that uh, you know, the children, such as the kingdom, and you have to receive the kingdom as a child. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'd like to reference Matthew chapter 18. This is in your notes, uh, verse 1 through 4. I think it gives us a little bit of insight into this idea of receiving the kingdom as a child or becoming as a child. It says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So there, uh, the words of Jesus it gives us some insight into uh, what he's getting at when he says that of such is the kingdom. We have to be like children in the sense of childlike faith and childlike trust. Not childish. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But um, there's a, a commentator I, I uh, have in your notes here. And it, it's speaking on these verses in Matthew 18. And I think this is really the key. It's... He puts it really well. The humility of a child consists of childlike trust, vulnerability, and the inability to advance his or own, her own cause apart from the help, direction, and resources of a parent. I don't think that it could be put any better than that. That's what it means to be childlike before God. It's humility, it's vulnerability, it's trust, it's understanding that we really don't have the ability to advance our own cause apart from the, the care and the, the guidance and the provision of our Heavenly Father. Amen? So that's what it means to be childlike uh, in the kingdom of God. 
Okay, it's, it's not my will, it's, it's His will. I can't do anything apart from Him. He's good and I know it and I trust Him. I'm, and I'm vulnerable in that sense. Um, if I'm fearful, it drives me into the arms of my Heavenly Father. Um, I, I have a, a, you know, a, a small child now, a daughter, and so I'm starting to understand these things uh, a little better now. As you see these, these metaphors that the Scriptures give, it, it gives us some insight and I was thinking about this, um, you know, if I'm holding my daughter and something happens that, that frightens her, her reaction is to squeeze me, you know. And I don't know why that is, but I like it. it you know, when she squeezes me like that, it's like she's trusting in me uh, to protect her or she finds some sort of solace in the fact that she's in my arms and she's nearby and I can't help but think that that is the case of our Heavenly Father. When, when we're hurting or when we're frightened or whatever the case may be, when we run to Him, He's pleased with that. Okay? Because what we're not saying is, you know, I, I've got this. I have the resources. I can take care of myself. Okay? I'm independent. No, I'm dependent on the Father. And I run to His arms and He's pleased to embrace me uh, as I come to Him with that kind of childlike trust and dependence. Uh, so that's, uh, in a nutshell, what it means to be childlike, to receive the kingdom as a child. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but um, some have actually interpreted this passage to be a proof text that children who die uh, as, as children before the age of accountability go straight to heaven. And I, I don't have a problem with that. I personally believe that. Um, that's God's grace. Uh, this would be, you know, that's kind of the whole idea here is these children are without the ability to earn God's favor. They don't understand the law. They can't keep the law. They can't really receive it or willfully reject it at this point. They're, they're, it's beyond them. Yet God's grace is upon them. Yet God still loves them. He still embraces them. Jesus says, of such is the kingdom of heaven. And that's, that's God's grace, purely God's grace there. And so um, some have, have interpreted this uh, quite extensively to be a, a proof text, and I'm fine with that. I think that's, that's great. That's beautiful. I suppose that you might ask, does this mean we're all going to look like children uh, in heaven? Have you ever wondered that? You know, I'm sure that we've all thought, what is it going to be like? You know, will older people look younger? Will kids look like adults? Uh, you know, what is that going to be like? And I would have to say I don't think we're going to look like children. Um, one verse that popped into my mind, it's in the notes here, is uh, 1 John 3.2. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall be as He is. So we are children, we are children of God, but when we see Him, we'll be like He is. And uh, I don't think we're going to look uh, like children. And so, um, it's an interesting thought nonetheless. So now Jesus warns His disciples. Alright, so first the disciples rebuked the parents for bringing their children to Jesus. And then Jesus corrects the disciples and says, don't do that. Don't ever stop the little ones from coming to me. And then Jesus warns the disciples. And He goes so far as to say, verse 15, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So we have to receive the kingdom of God as little children. 
Um, we talked a little bit about what it means to have childlike faith, childlike trust, when Jesus says of such is the kingdom of heaven. We talked a little bit about what that, what that means. But now he's saying that if you don't receive the kingdom of God as a little child, you will not enter in. You will not enter in. These are sobering words. And what, what does that mean? Well, we have to humble ourselves, guys. We have to trust the way that God has provided. We have to depend upon Him. The only way we can make it is because of what Christ has done. We can't do it on our own. We can't be good enough. I don't care how smart we may be, how, how much money we might have, how good of a person we may think we are, how many good deeds we have done. We can't do it. We have to depend upon God. Childlike trust and faith. And we have to receive the way that God has given. Some people, uh, they don't like the, uh, the narrow road. That's too exclusive. They don't appreciate that. Uh, there's only one way? What do you mean there's only one way? Well, I think there are multiple ways. And, and people come at it, they don't have childlike trust. In fact, they, uh, they believe what they want to believe. They reject the way that God has provided. You can't do that. You have to humble yourself. You have to trust the Lord and you have to depend upon Him uh, to make it the way that He has, has set in place. He is God. He says, He says, and He said that no one would come except through Jesus. And the Bible says there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you can't humble yourself as a child and receive the promises of God and uh, receive the, the kingdom the way that He has set it forth, you will not enter in. Okay, so we have to trust the Lord. We have to depend upon the Lord. We have to submit to the Lord like children, like children. You tracking with me? Does that make sense? I mean, that's, the gospel message is simply that. The gospel means good news. It means good news. And there's good news because, well, there was bad news. And the bad news is, is that we were separated from God and we were dead in our trespass and sins. We have all fallen short of the glory of God and we all had to give an account one day for that. But there's good news. The good news is, is that God sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. The perfect, holy, spotless Lamb of God who did not deserve death took our sin upon Himself and then died in our place. So that if we put our trust in Him, if we repent of our sins and follow Him, we'll be saved. We'll have eternal life. We'll be set free from the bondage of sin and damnation and we'll be with the Lord forever for all of eternity praising Him and, and loving Him and worshiping Him. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And that is the way that God has set forth. And if we can't humble ourselves as children and trust Him, trust that He is good, receive the gift that He has given, the way that He has given it, we will not enter in. Those are sobering words. Now, at this point, I'd like to look at it from a different angle. We're to be childlike, but not childish. There is a difference. Do you think so? Would you agree with that? When I say that, do you kind of get where I'm going with it? All right, we're to be childlike with our father, but not childish with our siblings. All right, with our brothers and sisters here in the church in Christ. And so I want to talk about that for a moment. 
In your notes, I have a couple of verses that I've referenced. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be, excuse me, no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking truth and love, may we grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. So we're supposed to be like children, right? That's what Jesus said, otherwise we won't receive the kingdom of God. But Paul says here that we should no longer be children. So what's that all about? And as I said, that's the idea. Childlike trust and faith is good, but we don't want childish behavior either. And so the whole idea here is that we are to come together in the unity of faith as the body of Christ. We are to grow up. The, the word here says to a perfect man, but it doesn't mean perfection. It means to uh, come to completion or fulfillment. That's the goal, guys, to complete maturity. We come together in unity. We're working towards complete maturity and the fullness of Christ that we would no longer be children who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but that in all things we would grow up into Him who is the head, Christ Jesus. And that's the objective. So we, we want to push past childishness. Okay, We want to be childlike before the Lord always, but we want to be growing in the faith. And that's part of... Our jobs as pastors, the verse right before this, it says that my job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Did you know that? Whose, whose job is the ministry? It's all of us. It's you guys. It's not, I'm not the professional minister and I'll do all the work of the ministry and then you guys just show up and listen to the teaching and, and maybe give financially and, and you've participated. That's not how this works. We are all in this thing together, doing ministry together. And my job is to do this. Okay, I'm coordinating. This ministry's over here. This ministry's over here. This leader's in place. These people are volunteering. Ministry is happening. Okay, so I'm the ministry director in that sense. And so we are all coming together and we are growing. We come with childlike faith, but we move past that. We grow out of childishness and we grow in maturity, and we come together in unity as a community of believers, and, uh, and we begin to, to do ministry together, and we see the hand of God moving in that way, and uh, maturing in the, to the point that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Because guys, that is happening. It's happening all around us. Uh, the church just moves on a whim with whatever new teaching comes along, and it's really... Uh, disheartening when you look out there and you see what's going on so often in the church. And that's why we are dead serious about the teaching of the Word of God because we want to grow up. We come to the Lord with childlike faith and trust, but we want to grow up out of childishness in the Word of God and we want to serve Him faithfully as mature believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? That's the objective. And so um, in Hebrews, in your notes here, chapter 5, it says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. 
For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So we need to get past the milk. We need to get into the meat. Okay? We don't want to be babies forever. We need to grow up and be men and women of God. Okay, so we are childlike in our trust and our dependence upon God, but we are not childish. We are growing in the Word. We are growing in faith. We are growing in our abilities to serve the Lord and use our gifts to embrace the calling on our life, to do the work of the ministry, to be a part of the church. So childlike, not childish. Got it? Okay, let's close with uh, verse 16 here. Now Jesus embraces the children, and He took them up in His arms, laid His hands on them, and blessed them. There's something about uh, helping the helpless. It's, it's a special theme in the Bible. Blessing those who cannot bless you back. I'm sure we've all heard the saying, God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard that? And I have heard it said that that's in the Bible. You know, there's a, there's a few sayings, especially in the South, that you hear, uh, and they'll say, well, the Bible says, it's just that, no, it doesn't. And so, um, while, yes, there is, we, we understand what that means, okay? We, we can't just support somebody if they're choosing to live uh, in a way that is not productive, not healthy. We can't enable them in that way. And so when people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, it encourages us to want to support them and help them go even farther. So we, I get that. But the reality is, is that God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. And God loves to see us help people who cannot help themselves. And Jesus speaks about the blessedness of, of helping people who cannot bless us back. You can be pretty sure your motives are right when you're doing something for somebody who cannot do back for you. And Jesus talks about that. He gives a parable and He talks about uh, someone who's going out. Uh, he's going to have a feast. And He says, when you go out and you invite people to the feast, invite the lame and the maimed and the poor and the blind, those who cannot bless you back, those who will never invite you to a feast. And you'll have your reward in heaven. Okay, So there's something... In the, in the eyes of the Lord that is special about loving and caring for those who can't, it's not reciprocal. And so uh, I think that's a strong principle that we see here. But I would say one obvious takeaway, guys, is that Jesus loves the children, Jesus cares for the children, and so should we. So should we. So should we. And, uh, and I've talked about this a lot from the pulpit, so I'm not going to hit this hard today, but you know, the children's ministry is, is just one extension of that, guys. It's one of the most uh, practical and relevant opportunities, and it's just right over there on that front breezeway. It's an opportunity to love the little children, to bring the little children to Jesus, to care for them and to pray for them and to share with them the truth of Jesus. So if this was so important to Jesus... And there is the opportunity right there. That's just a simple way for you guys to take advantage immediately of this and to do something about it. But beyond that, we, uh, we support some missionaries. Victor and Sonia Mayorel, uh, their information is out in the foyer. 
In fact, this is the, uh, the mission trip that we go on in December to Baja. That's really what they specialize in is caring for the orphans. Uh, among other things they do, this would be one of the predominant things. And, and that's one of their, their missions verse. They are Sojourner's missions. And that is, uh, their verse is, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, that you care for orphans and widows in their distress. And so caring for those who cannot care for themselves. And so you can support those missionaries. You can pray for those missionaries. You can go out there uh, on the mission trip and support them that way, partner with them in that way, uh, get on the front lines of caring for the little ones. It's such a blessing. It's such a blessing, guys. And there are a million other ways in which we can care for the little ones. One of the things that our church tries to do is uh, give backpacks full of, of goods to children at the beginning of the school year and, and just a number of other things. So I would encourage you to pray about that. Jesus cares for the little children, so should we. And are we? How are we? How can we? But then in closing, I just want to remind you uh, of what Jesus said, you know, of such is the kingdom of God, little children. And we have to receive the kingdom of God that way as children. We have to trust Him. We have to cling to Him. Amen? We have to, to go to Him in our time of need. If you don't do that, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven if you don't receive it as a child. And so I will close with that. And we will, uh, we will bless the Lord. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your kindness. And uh, it is our delight to be children of the Most High God and to come to You with faith and trust and um, to acknowledge that we can't do anything apart from You. And... Uh, to whom else would we go? And we love You and we need You, Father, and we trust that You are good and You are so very good. And uh, we are so grateful for that. So we love You, we praise You, and we thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen.